0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Casual Shooters podcast, your premier podcast for the casual shooter. My guest this week just shot limited at the Race Gun Nationals where she plays second lady. She is a master class limited shooter and a firearms instructor. Let's welcome Michaela Hill to the show. How are you doing, Michaela?
1: Good. Thanks for having me on.
0: Uh, Thanks for being on. Why don't you take a second and, and introduce yourself?
1: Uh, Sure. So I have been shooting almost 13 years now. I got into it because my dad stumbled across the sport. He was in law enforcement and saw it as a way to uh, enhance his training. And then he kind of dragged me along the range along with my mom, who competes as well. Um, They finally got convinced me to shoot my first match, and I was hooked ever since then. Um, So we've been competing across multiple divisions, going to different matches uh, since then. Um, But mostly it's kind of just a hobby for us that we get to do on the side. So like we joke in real life, my real life job is I'm a marketing director, um, but then super blessed to get to be uh, so into the sport as we are.
0: Oh, wow. There's a lot to unwrap there. Okay. (laughs) All right. We we are going to unwrap that as we go then. Very interesting. Marketing director. Okay. Whoa. All right. So you said you have listened to the podcast, so you know the first the first four questions are the most difficult questions of your life. Question number one, these are our icebreaker questions. What's your favorite movie?
1: Oh, my favorite movie. So I'm a huge, my friends call me a Disney nerd. so I love Disney. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I have to go with my classics, which is either Beauty and the Beast or The Lion King.
0: Okay. All right. So have you been to Disneyland or Disney world or any of them?
1: We have, we're actually going to be going to Disney world here in a couple weeks.
0: How long has that been in the works?
1: So it's been tradition with our family, friends, almost every five years, we jump over to Disney world. So it happened to land on this year. Uh, So we've known about that. We plan like through the whole year.
0: Now we tend to find guys don't read much. Women tend to read a little bit more, but not not everybody. But what's your favorite book?
1: Oh, my favorite books. So I have a favorite author. It's Karen Kingsbury, and she does Christian fiction. And so I love her. She's got the Baxter series, um, so that's probably my favorite.
0: Is that um, you said it's Christian fiction? Yes. So what what is that? Like, I'm not sure I've heard of that genre before.
1: Sure. So she actually bases her, she does a foundation. So all of her books will go to a nonprofit, a portion of it. Um, and so then she writes stories based on real life um, and kind of just plays in how like God has his hand in, in these stories, uh, but they're not fully true stories. She gets to take the liberation to create the story.
0: Okay, now I don't know. Uh, obviously, you're into Disney, but I don't know that you're into superheroes. Um, the the third question is your favorite superhero, or if you're not into a historical figure or mentor or something like that.
1: Sure. So my sister is a huge Marvel fan, so we know our superheroes pretty well. <laughs> um, my favorite would be Captain America.
0: I like it. How, what draws you to Captain America?
1: His is just always my favorite movie. We kind of, I think me and my friend got, we like to do debates. And so hers was Iron Man. And so mine is Captain America. And so we just always have these conversations back and forth of why one's better than the other.
0: They tend to get along really well in the movies. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So what is your favorite gun and caliber? And they don't have to be married together. It doesn't have to be 45 just because you like a 1911.
1: Sure. Um, I think I'm kind of biased because what I started shooting in was limited. So I think just kind of first love has kind of stuck with me. Um, so for that reason, I'd say the 40 cal. Um, and then my favorite gun, it actually broke on me right before we went to Nationals. So I didn't get to take it with me. Um, but my coach here locally actually built the gun out for me um, and he made it girly. So it's got these swirls on the slide and it's got my favorite trigger on it by far.
0: And what's the gun?
1: So his company is called Candy Mountain Customs. So it's a 2011 based frame um, that he pretty much customized for me. Six inch limited gun.
0: Okay. N40, obviously. Yes. <laughs> okay. I don't think I saw a picture of that any, and yet did you post a picture of that anywhere or? Yeah. I think my most
1: recent one I posted, I was talking about my trigger prep drill I was doing. So you see my TV in the background, which happened to have a Disney movie on. Um, and I got kind of got the gun up in the frame as well.
0: Okay. Yeah. Candy Mountain Customs. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: And he's also your coach? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yep. We're going to be coming back to that for sure. Because okay. <laughs> that's a topic I've been talking a lot about with people. All right. Now I want to share a picture with you for our fifth and final icebreaker question. So you said your dad was a your dad's law enforcement, right? Yes, sir. So when did you guys get into poppy field farming?
1: So what's funny is when we were driving to nationals, we'd never seen a cotton field before. So we're like, we have to stop and look at this and feel it and just as okay. soft as you think it'd be.
0: I had to, I saw it and I was like, oh, she's into poppy fields. <laughs> I thought it was funny. So I was like, all right, I got to have fun with this. Now the fun stuff's over. Now we have to get all serious. <laughs> all right. Now, it was interesting. You said you've been shooting for 13 years and you are not an old person. <laughs> no,
1: no so... I started I started competing at the age of 12.
0: Okay. Now- But at what age did you first shoot a gun?
1: So funny enough, I've been on the range, honestly, before I can remember, there's pictures of our local range of like little me playing in the dirt, building these little brass castles um, way before what I can actually remember. Um, My earliest memory of going to the range, my dad would give me a 22. And so we treated that just like a real firearm. It went in the safe right with his, um, but I wanted to shoot his duty gun, and I remember being small enough that he actually had to help me hold the gun up as I pulled the trigger on it.
0: Do you remember what gun that was at the time?
1: I don't.
0: Semi-auto, though, I assume.
1: Um. So it was a pistol, whatever their carry gun at the time was.
0: So you started that way at you said in the intro that your parents took you to a match, you shot, you got hooked. It's like everybody else in the sport. First time you shoot the match, you're like, Oh, I'm all in. This is fun. (laughs) Um, But how from there to now, how do you make that at what point did you go? This is what I want to get serious about and get to the level of shooting that you're at.
1: Sure. Um, So It's a little fuzzy of when it all started. I started getting more into it. um, And probably my earliest memory is something happened and my dad let me go into open. So I got my first open gun. um, And that's really when I started being competitive and we started going to the major matches.
0: What About what age do you think that was?
1: It was about a year or two into shooting. So probably close to 15
0: how long did you shoot that open gun?
1: Uh, We still have it today. So I shot it, I think it was last year. Um, I ended up cracking the barrel. And so that's when we switched back over to limited, but we get the open guns back out every now and again.
0: Are you shooting nine major or 38 super comp? 38 super. But you said limited was your first love.
1: Yes. Yeah. My dad tried to get me started in production, but for whatever reason, I didn't like that platform, but I loved his 2011. Um, and so that's what I got started in.
0: Do you prefer the iron sights to the dots?
1: I think the iron sight, like both give you a lot of their pros and cons to both. There's something you get to focus on. I love the speed of the sport. And so for that reason, I love the dot. You get to go faster. But I think what I love about iron sights is visually you're having to do more. So I have to remind myself like to be sight focused or kind of this in between or target focused. And so I think my eyes are doing more as I'm running through a stage with irons. And so I like that uh, almost extra level of difficulty added to it.
0: Okay. And I, I wear reading glasses. That's what, that's what these are. It's just so I can see you clear on my screen right in front of me. Um, Now, you're wearing glasses, so Mm -hmm. you've not had a problem shooting irons with with glasses?
1: Nope. Yep. I have astigmatism, so I wear my glasses. I wear these out as my eye protection out on the range, too, but it's worked great. Uh
0: So you started shooting seriously about 15, so I guess... This episode is brought to you by Gun Butter. Gun Butter is a premier lubricant for your rifle or pistol. They have grease for parts that need it, like lugs on a bolt gun. Man, do I love a bolt gun. It's a proprietary blend that they won't even trademark so as not to have to give away their trade secrets. Check out the video I put up on YouTube. Uh, Look for another one coming soon. I even ran into Rick Powers, an RO at Carry Optics Nationals. He switched to it after listening to our podcast with Mason Litchfield. He loves it. Rob Epiphania uses and loves it. Frank Shue uses it and loves it. Use Casual Shooter 20 and save 20% on checkout. It's what, about 10 years now you've been shooting? Yes. S- serious? At what point, because you're also a firearms instructor, correct?
1: Yeah, so my dad owns a firearms training company, and so I get to be assistant coach on our junior team, and then I help out with some of the adult classes as well.
0: At what point did you make that transition and begin as an assistant instructor?
1: I've pretty much been, so I started on the junior team myself, um, and then when I graduated off of that, I kind of continued to help with it. Um, And then as I got a little bit older, I actually became an assistant coach with our head coach, Um, for that team. And then it was really kind of just this, I had hung around the adult classes, kind of watched and just helped like with taping the targets and doing photos and stuff. But it was really this past year um, that I actually started getting to actually be a lead instructor with them.
0: Is there anything you specialize in? And what I mean is, do you just teach everything or do you training women? They don't all, for a guy, you can't always make that connection, you know, and and explain things from their viewpoint. Mm -hmm. So do you, do you find yourself training a lot of women?
1: Yeah. Majority of our clientele are definitely women. Uh, The class, my very first class I was as a lead instructor was an all ladies class. Um, And so we're looking to do more all ladies classes this coming year.
0: Uh, That's awesome. Now you keep mentioning the word And I, you know, in the picture that I was just looking at on your Instagram, it said he's also your coach. Mm
1: -hmm. So
0: in in what regard are we talking coaching? Like to what extent?
1: Sure. So I'd actually say I have multiple coaches because my dad's my coach. We got to the range and train all the time as well. Um, Our junior team had instructor. He coaches me as well. Uh, Both of them are grandmasters in USPSA. Um, And so like leading up to nationals, we really dove in. We were out on the range every day. So on the weekends, um, our head coach uh, for the junior team, his name's Mark Bradley. um, So he would come out on the weekends and help train um, and run us through. He's really good at explaining different trigger drills um, and how to prep your trigger. And so working us through things like that. Um, And then during the week, I would actually get – I luck out that my office is pretty close to the range, so I'd head out on my lunch break, um, and my dad would meet me out there, and we'd go train. And we did this for a few weeks leading up to nationals.
0: Now, do you think that made a difference?
1: Oh, by a long shot. I saw just Uh – this is – yes. So we've never really done uh, every single day training before, especially not out on the live range, especially these past years as ammo has been harder to get. Um, and so I definitely saw a huge increase in my level of shooting, um, by doing this, we probably did it for about a month and a half.
0: Oh, wow. Do were you training on just specific things or everything under the sun?
1: So, so my coach actually went to carry optics nationals. And so he kind of had a flavor. He's like, they're going to be long, accurate shots, most likely. Um, and so we knew we needed to push out our targets, um, Before our training, I don't know, we'd put it at 10 yards or something like that. And so we purposely wanted like the closest target to be 15 yards. So we started working partials. Um, Pretty much every target we were shooting was partials. And we started pushing it out 15, 20, 25 as far as we could get it. We put steel out at 25, 30 yards uh, because they saw some of that at Carry Optics. So we knew we really needed to start training our distance and our partials and really figuring out what side pictures we could get away with and um, what our trigger prep needed to feel like. Uh, so we honestly didn't work movement really at all. We pretty much stayed almost fundamental and accuracy. Um, and even just doing that made a huge difference.
0: Okay. Yeah, I guess that would help that he was at Cary Optics Nationals. That worked out well for you? Yes. Now, what are your thoughts on... Now, you have multiple coaches, you said. Can you see coaching becoming a bigger aspect of competition.
1: For sure. So what actually kind of took us at surprise at nationals is almost everybody had, cause I got the chance to shoot on lady super squad this year. And so we kind of thought me and my dad always like to shoot together. And if he goes before me, if we're kind of wishy-washy on which way we want to run the stage, he'll run it one way and then tell me how he thought, or if I go before him, uh, same kind of thing. And we kind of noticed almost everybody has someone like that so everyone's almost even though it's an individual performance it's really more of a team sport
0: Morgan Leonhardt's dad shot with that super squad at carry optics national so yeah I I see that and even um one of the guys who's on here occasionally he shot area eight not this year but a year ago and JJ was on his squad when he shot and him and his dad talked a lot And his dad would point things out that he saw so i'm i'm wondering if have you heard of the um prairie fire rank competition
1: Mm
0: -mm. oh wow okay well this will be news to you do you know lanny barnes do you know who she is yes okay Uh, i interviewed her recently probably a week and a half ago uh, maybe eight days ago so prairie fire is a new company shooting company they're they're building a range in texas and they're trying to take over front site range in las vegas okay. this year uh one week from today i'm sorry one week from yesterday they are having a competition with a hundred thousand dollars in cash uh, winner I
1: I someone post this yeah
0: okay yeah winner gets 50 and then they break it down from there she went into it um I think it was like a 30-minute short little episode, special episode. But she goes into breaking it down, you know, first, second, third, women's, that type of thing, what everybody will get cash-wise. Next year, it's a million-dollar prize, total prize. So what I'm trying to get at is I could see if, if competition would be giving away cash, I could see where that might make it lucrative enough to actually draw coaches with the shooter to competition. And if not, at least like at CMP, you, there's enough uh, cell service there that you could literally FaceTime with a coach in between. And if they would ever stream nationals where you could watch every stage, I could see where um, let's say your dad you know, was teaching classes, but he's gonna take off time in the morning on Friday, the afternoon of Saturday and the morning of Sunday to watch you, then you guys could converse after each stage and say, you know, and talk about things.
1: Yeah, so funny that you bring that up. I actually had enough uh, friends and family and like coaches to stay behind um, that wanted updates. So we actually put together a private Facebook group Um, And so as I got done with each stage, I would post my stage video and the little receipt they give us saying how I did. Um, And so obviously I had my dad right there with me and we're in constant communication. But then my coach was also back home watching and some fellow shooters we shoot with back home watching and then comment in. And so I'd get messages from my coach like, clean up the deltas. Like, how long does it take to shoot an alpha over a delta? Clean it back up.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. That's basically exactly what I'm talking about. You guys are doing it. Yes. Oh, very cool. I like it. Because I I don't, I'm surprised. Well, I'm not surprised that it doesn't happen more often. Um, Like Area 8 a year ago, you're not doing that because there's really no cell service there. So it doesn't work. But, you know, people that really want to excel in the sport, I feel like exactly what you're doing is going to pay dividends in the end, especially getting that feedback real time before the next stage, you know?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think it's huge to have someone too, because yes, video helps, like going back and be able to watch myself in video and see what I'm doing, but they're able to watch me in real time and be like, okay, you were kind of slow getting out of this position, like throw your elbow to get out of there, like be more aggressive in that. So they're able to look at the little things that we can't see ourselves doing as we're shooting. Um, And that's super helpful.
0: Yeah. I think as people, we're very biased when we look at ourselves. And I don't mean it's not always in a good way, you know, you're like, Oh, I look terrible there. What is, uh, you know what I mean? Like you can't, it's hard sometimes to put aside the fact that you're watching yourself and then break all those little things down. Like you're saying, whereas your dad or a different coach, or, you know, maybe someone I'll just throw out like Tim Heron, let's say you took a Tim Heron class and and you guys struck up a friendship and he's like, look, if you ever have any questions, send me video. And then he can break it down from a completely different perspective. So there's that, definitely um, been benefit to that. How do you think being a firearms instructor has helped you?
1: I think it really makes you – we're just talking perspective. So it almost makes you have another perspective because it's one thing, can you do it? But it's another, can you explain it to someone else and get them to do it? Um, So especially getting to coach the junior team, um, I love trying to take what I know about the sport and how I perform and being able to try to explain that um, and help them be able to achieve um, and run in the sport. And actually, funny enough, because when we're at matches and stuff, like we all get like the stressor. And so I get to talk the kids through those portions. And so it honestly helps myself talk when I get to a match because I just think to myself, okay, what would I tell the kids right now? Um, so I'm almost kind of having to self-coach myself, um, just like I would have been coaching a kiddo right at that moment.
0: I, I definitely think it helps with the raising the IQ of shooting. Yes. You're in the state of Washington. Mm -hmm. Um, it's been in the news a lot in the last couple of years. So how has living there affected your ability to be a firearms instructor or has it at all?
1: So far, we haven't seen a huge impact. This year, they passed the uh, magazine cap, so you can only have 10-round mags. Of course, all of our stuff is grandfathered in, um, but we're curious to see how that's going to change the sport. Obviously, new shooters coming in um that don't have gear yet uh it'll be interesting to see how that plays out there's a lot of joking to like just pick up ship and move elsewhere move down south we got friends that uh hopped over to Tennessee and have a home range now um so if things got bad enough we'd definitely be looking at moving again but obviously a little harder to do when family and work and everything is here
0: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's not, it's not easy just, oh, you know, wake up one day and like, yeah, I'm gonna move tomorrow. Mm, doesn't work yeah. like that. <laughs> but I mean, also, I do believe I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure there's something going in front of the Supreme Court about yes. the magazine. So hopefully, with the way things have been going, that will also go the same direction everything else has been going, and that problem will get fixed.
1: Yes, we are super hopeful. So uh, yes,
0: same here. <laughs> Just for everybody, because I don't have that issue here, but nobody should have that issue. I got my fingers crossed for you. (laughs) Thank you. And I'm a fan of Tennessee. I'm there all the time. So I live in Virginia. So I'm just like right on the other side. Oh, gotcha. All right. So moving back to USPSA for a moment. What did you think of Race Gun National?
1: That's honestly probably the hardest match I've shot. It definitely didn't play to any of my strengths. Um, I like the on the move blending positions. um, And there really was not a lot of that. Uh, I just posted about stage one. I think that was like the one stage I felt like I got to do that on. Uh, Most of it was hit your spot and make your shot. Um, and so it really played to accuracy and almost uh, as I was going through, I almost was running scared because I didn't want to make a mistake because I knew how difficult the shooting was. Uh, so because of that, I found it pretty challenging. Um, but was funny to me, we get all done um, and our hard shots, like we had the 35 yard target or multiple uh, swingers and partials, I hit all of those, no problem. All of my mistakes happen to be like on a closer or a transition target to that harder target I was worried about. So definitely some learning uh, took place at that match that we're going to uh, implement into our practices going forward this next year. Definitely making our practices harder with partials and more distance because we're starting to see a lot more of that at the majors.
0: For this training, you did move your targets out and you did a lot of partials. But what other things did you see at this match that's going to make you change the way you train for next year?
1: I think one of the things I saw was I was not as good at shot calling as I thought I was. I think I look at the target more than I really realized I did. Because at certain distances, you can't see your shots anymore. So I remember um, I was doing pretty good up until our last stage of day two. Um,
0: This episode is brought to you by Laser App. L-A-S-R app. They specialize in laser dry fire training. Super convenient and not to mention super cheap. You can use anything for a dry fire target and any device with a camera for capturing the laser hits. There's even a 30-day money back guarantee. And it's veteran owned. Semper Fi Ben. You can utilize multiple targets and multiple cameras. It can be as complex or as simple as your heart desires. They even sell steel challenge banners. They sell cert guns and the cert AR bolt. So you can practice indoors with your AR for free. There's a newsletter and a forum you can join. When you sign up for the newsletter, they'll send you a free six part video series. Check out their website. It's a smorgasbord of items to make you better faster. Use the affiliate link on our website or at the bottom of our podcast notes and on YouTube for a 15% discount. Also, use our coupon code in the store for 10% off of other items, not necessarily covered by our affiliate link. Thanks for your support, everyone. Without your support, this podcast would be difficult to maintain.
1: And it was all wide open targets. They were at probably 20 plus yards um, and I happened to throw two mics on that stage. And what killed me about that was I didn't call them at all. I didn't have any feeling that I pulled the shot off target. Um, and so that bothered me because I was like, okay, I must have not been watching my site, obviously. Um, just no feeling whatsoever of those shots being pulled off target. So focusing more in on that and making sure I'm not just shopping for bullet holes on paper.
0: So did you review the video footage from that? stage and were you able to figure out when you threw the mics?
1: So I know when I threw the mics it was as I was one was right as I was leaving position so I think I got a little aggressive leaving and kind of pulled my gun with me on my second shot um and then the second target uh there was a target that people were hitting the barrel Um, And getting a mic from a barrel. And so I was really worried. I knew I wanted to hit two alphas on that target. And so I was so focused on that target that I think I just transitioned right over the middle target before it. Um, Being so worried about getting to this target that I didn't give that target the respect it needed. And so I pulled the shot off on that one as well.
0: Okay. All right. Well, I mean, at least you were able to go back and go, okay, this is what I did. So as long as you know what the problem is, you can correct it. So yes. But it sounds like, too, you're telling me that you were over-confirming your shots at time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So we noticed that go- before we went into nationals, which is why we wanted to work partials and distance, because we were getting beat on time. We were just wasting way too much time on going hit, hit, where we're watching these shooters at a higher level be able to take a partial or a certain distance target almost at the same split and cadence that they are a closer wide open target. So we knew we needed to push our comfort zone. Um, So that's really what our practice was geared towards was trying to take where we were currently comfortable at and push that to further distances and partial targets, more of a control shot.
0: All right. How, um, how do you, what's your plan for training or how do you plan on changing your training to be better at calling your shot?
1: uh that's where coaches thankfully come in because he's gonna help me with that he's really good at training calling he'll actually put a bag over the target um and back us up far enough make sure like we'll do some drills so that there's already pasters all over the target um but pretty much make it so you cannot shop for bullet holes on the piece of paper you truly have to watch your sight and see what's that doing and so We'll do a couple round drill and each round I will have to say like where our site, what we saw, was it tracking up into the right? Did we keep it straight up and down? Um, And then based on what we're seeing with our site picture, now we can start analyzing and being like, okay, if it's tracking up into the left, maybe I'm not gripping hard enough, Um, things like that. If it's staying fully vertical, but I still have this widespread of shots, maybe I'm not being patient enough to let the site come back to the right um, same position I've been at. So really just focusing in on putting all of our emphasis on what that front side's doing and building that into our subconscious so that I will actually carry that over and do it in a match without having to consciously think about it.
0: Have you ever listened to Steve Anderson's podcast? Yes. Okay. Have you ever, um, and you just talking about the bag reminded me of something. I took one of his classes, and we did this in his class as well for shot calling practice where he takes a shot up target and you're looking at the shot up target. There's no uh, no pasters on it. There's just a bunch of holes. So you would have no idea which one yours was. And then on the back side, he puts a new target. So you're shooting, you know, you might have three or four targets where you're doing a drill and having to call your shots on each one. And then you go and you look at the backside to see if that's where you actually Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. impacted. But you guys use a bag instead? Yeah,
1: he'll put a bag over the target and then go remove the bag. Um, And we train it with our junior kids as we're first teaching them how to do this. We actually have a target back with us. So when they get done shooting, we hand them over the Sharpie and they have to draw where they think their two hits are. Um, And then we take the target down with us and see if it matches up.
0: Can you still see the aiming like the A zone through the bag or are you, how does that work in
1: um, a little bit? If we use just plastic bags, you can kind of still make out, um, where you're gonna, where the different zones are.
0: Is this your first nationals you've shot? It is not. Have you shot at frost proof? Yes. Okay. At nationals or just, yes. an- okay. Did you happen to have to shoot in the rain at Frostproof?
1: Oh, I feel like we have. We've been there down there a few times. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, good chance you did. We so, so we
1: shot during Hurricane Nationals, so that was when oh, yeah.
0: Okay. All right. For sure. Well, I bring that up because in 2020 that was my first Nationals, and there was a 42 yard shot. There was a target out at 42 yards, and I get that because uh, someone said they they lazed it and came up with 42 yards. So we came in on day two. Our first stage was that stage and it was raining like crazy. So they had to put a bag over it. Well, at 42 yards, all you see is a blob. And and I had to sit there and stare at it and go, where in the world am I going to aim? I've got to figure this out. So that's why I asked the question about the bags, because I know At times, it can be difficult figuring out where in the world exactly, you know, you're trying to figure out center, both elevation and windage, and exactly where am I aiming. You were saying that none of it played to your strengths, huh?
1: No, nope. I'm definitely, I like the speed portion of it, the accuracy portion of like, oh, if I have to. So, it definitely felt more of a distance, partials, really, even in my head as I was breaking those shots, thinking sight. Trigger um, almost honestly, it felt like every shot for that match.
0: Oh, wow! Now, I did see where you posted something also saying, um, it was a strong hand. I don't know if there was any weak hand with it. Uh, nope, just strong. Just strong. Now, did you guys have any weak hand stages? We didn't.
1: Well, you're kind of surprised. There was only one stage that required some strong hand shooting.
0: Oh, wow. Interesting. I'm surprised they didn't do any weekend.
1: We were really surprised.
0: How do you like CMP?
1: That range was gorgeous. It felt like we were driving up to like a, I don't know, a country club at the start with the big uh, welcome building. Uh, we yeah, we thought it was pretty funny. You could uh, rent the golf carts to go travel the range, but uh, just a gorgeous area. Really nice range. Probably one of the nicest I've been to.
0: For sure, it's very nice. Now, did you guys have the For Carry Optics Nationals, they took one of the pistol ranges right above the parking area, and you could use that for sighting in your gun. Did you guys have that option?
1: We had, they had the test fire range, which we had to drive to away from the stage base.
0: Right. Did you take advantage of that?
1: Uh, We did. When we first got there, stage walking day, especially even though we were irons, we heard a lot of people during carry optics, like their sights coming loose or getting off zeroed on the flights. Uh, So we just wanted to go. We only shot, I think it was like 10 rounds uh, just to refill what our trigger felt like, reconfirm to our minds that our guns were zeroed sight and ready to go.
0: Yeah, I may have shot 20 rounds, but yeah, same thing. I, I mean, I drove from here to there. But I liked it just because it just gave me the confidence like, okay, the gun shooting fine and it was spot on where I aimed. It was hitting. So I'm like, okay, good. It's all on me then. And I'm okay with that. Yes. I would (laughs) would much rather know that because I was shooting someone on our squad. I forget who it was. Someone had the same problem there, but it was during shooting. It wasn't like Uh, day one. It was after day one. It was really weird. Ugh. I even saw that at a local there's a a GM that teaches people around here and we were shooting and sometime during the match his I don't know if his dot loosened up or if it just shifted or what but he was off significantly cuz he's uh, like man I, he's like I called those shots why am I not hitting anything and then so we we stopped yeah it was a local match so we paused and he fired a few shots at steel and was completely off the target. we're like, uh-oh.
1: <laughs> Ooh, so, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. So I, I liked the fact where they had it. It was a way. I was able to do it on Thursday before even day one of shooting.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I enjoyed that.
1: Yeah, we had never actually taken advantage of the test fire bay before. This was our first time doing that. But it was kind of nice to just get there, take a few shots so that your first shot, at that range, being there the first time, wasn't on the first stage of the first day. Um, So we actually really liked taking advantage of that.
0: I I also took advantage of it at Frostproof because there you could get there early and shoot before your first stage also, whereas Mm -hmm. the unfortunate thing at CMP is Mm -hmm. state law, you can't shoot before 9 a.m. Your first stage starts at 9 a.m. So there's no way you could shoot before your stages in the morning. So that's the only downside to that. So how many nationals have you shot?
1: (laughs) Probably more than I realize I have shot. I know I've done a couple in open, my very first nationals. I'm pretty sure I went and competed in open. Um, I remember one nationals where all the divisions were together Um, And we knew a lot of the juniors through going through MGM junior camp. And so we did a huge uh, junior photo at the national award ceremony, um, hurricane nationals. Uh, We did a production nationals one year. Um, So probably close to or getting up to 10 nationals, maybe.
0: Wow. Okay. so which location has been your favorite?
1: Uh, Range wise, CMP was really nice. I think our favorite was when it was in Vegas, just because there's more to do on your off days or when you're not shooting. Um, we enjoy getting to go to areas we've never been. So one was in Barrie, Illinois, um, so that was fun to go see, just like we'd never been to Talladega, Alabama either. Um, Frost proof um, is always fun. We try to if we're going to be down there for nationals if we have the time. Uh, once we're done with the match, we usually try to go hit Disney World before we fly home.
0: Yeah, I could see that. If you're a, yeah, if you're a Disneyard, yep, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> now I, I was talking with June Kim when he was on, because he lives in Vegas, and I was like, I feel like it should be in Vegas because you know, if you decide to bring your family or whatever, there's stuff for them to do, like or even after shooting, there's stuff to do. When I was in Talladega, me and Matt Hopkins tried to just go have dinner after the membership meeting and everything was closed. It's a Saturday yeah. night, it's like eight o'clock and everything was closed. We're standing yeah. outside of a place that had closed and we're like, really? And we're like, all right, we're just going to go back. We'll yeah. See you later. You know, so that I did not like about Talladega. The town is terrible <laughs> for food. Yes.
1: That reminds me. I think one of my favorite memories. We were in Nationals in St. George, Utah, and of course we get done shooting on a Sunday, and there's really nothing open on a Sunday down there. Um, so we were all hungry after awards, and so literally, like all the shooters from this match, all like all your pros, all your super squads, all happened to be at In and Out Burger because uh, it was like the <laughs> only thing still open. So it was like the after party of Nationals.
0: That's hilarious. We're yeah. going to do some tailgate partying and in and out. That's awesome. Do your plans extend beyond US uh, PSA to Ipsic? We've pretty much. This episode is brought to you by Hoist. Hoist your IV level rehydrating electrolyte blend of sodium, potassium, magnesium, and calcium. It's clinically proven to hydrate 110% faster than water. Chris Gelnett was on episode 63 and gave his own personal testimony. He had a bad experience with the heat at area eight in 2021 when temps were near hundred and the humidity was high. He was ready to quit with three stages to go. He had mentally checked out afterward. He listened to episode 48 with Rachel Trotta decided to try hoist bought a case off Amazon, started using it at locals and found, Hey, I'm not fatigued at the end of the day. So he took it to Area 5, and at the end of the day, he was ready to shoot the match again. As a matter of fact, he even had a stage win on his last stage. Man, they have all the best flavors. They have watermelon, peach mango, dragon fruit, strawberry, lemonade, grape, and I'm sure I'm missing a few. It's probably the only beverage that I've tried that I like all of the flavors, you can buy it either in a powder and mix it with water, or you can buy it pre-mixed, whichever way you prefer. But check it out, get hydrated, stay hydrated, use Casual Shooter and save 10% or be like Chris and have a recurring subscription and save 15%. I only
1: dabbled in USPSA, and I think that's really because that's really the only prominent one um, in our area. They'll do a couple three-gun matches Throughout the year, a little bit of still challenge, but there's really no IPSC, IDPA, any of that um, around us. So we would have to travel to go dabble in it.
0: So no, no desire for World Shoot, IPSC Nationals, anything like that?
1: It'd be super fun to shoot in World Shoot. We haven't been, I actually qualified and made the team one year, um, but it was out. uh, It wasn't in the U.S during that time. And we weren't brave enough to pull the trigger to travel outside of the U S especially with all the guns. Um, and so I definitely love the chance to shoot worlds at some point. Um, but we have to have to start traveling a little bit more and get a little more comfortable being able to do so with the guns too.
0: That that brings up the next point you posted something on Instagram about how to spot fellow (laughs) competitors while you're traveling.
1: Yeah, it was so, so funny. Go ahead. Uh, at the airports, just seeing everyone, especially as we flew in, like the last flight to, uh, we flew into Birmingham, Alabama. And so it was funny because you could immediately tell all the shooters because we were all crowded right at the start of the luggage belt waiting for those Pelican cases to come off. And so you started noticing the different shooting logos on the shirt. Some were wearing their um shooting shoes their belts um, and so you just started picking everybody out and funny enough on some of the flights uh, we had the same two shooters we had never met that we were pretty much on some of the same flights with um, and then we happened to show up at the range for wait, uh, stage walks at the same time so it kind of became this joke that we just always consistently started running into each other
0: now as a firearms instructor do you teach defensive practice uh, pistol use
1: I personally don't because I don't have a background in it. But most of our instructors are law enforcement. So we do have defensive classes and they'll teach um, different ways and uh, they'll actually challenge people to go because you'll start being able to see the imprints and see uh, who's actually carrying. Um, So to start developing an eye for that.
0: So with that in mind, what are your thoughts on all these people being able to be identified as people with guns? Or shooters.
1: I think as we're traveling, like obviously if we're wearing the logos on our shirts, then we're not too worried about it. Uh, For us specifically, like our Pelican case, we didn't want any shooting related stickers on it because we didn't want someone to be able to peg like, oh, there's guns in there, especially if it's just on a luggage belt for anyone to grab. Um, So I think it goes, it it just depends if you want to be more unidentified as you're traveling, then you're not going to be wearing your hats and your shirts, um, things like that. Um, but I think the big thing for us was making sure, um, like our Pelican case, we put stickers on it so that we would notice it a second. It comes off the belt, but made sure none of those were actually related to something that someone else could peg as that being guns in that case.
0: And and that's why I put, I commented that I said, I travel incognito because I won't wear anything with any type of, any type of gun related shirt. I actually take like my carry gun. If I, if I fly somewhere. It's in a case, but it's inside of my suitcase. So if I need to bring two suitcases, I'll bring two suitcases, but everything gets tucked away. There's no stickers. I'm not wearing anything that would identify me as a shooter or what I have. I just, it's one of those things about not drawing attention to <laughs> myself yeah. in that regard. Yeah. So it's interesting because you posted a lot of pictures with different things on people's carry-on gear and other stuff.
1: Yeah, you could peg quite a few people.
0: So you must have compiled some different things and created your own video.
1: Yeah. Showing well, all of that. Well, that goes back to day job being marketing director. So trying to have the ah, creative ideas and man. the video techniques and
0: I gotcha. That does kind of help.
1: Yeah. It's <laughs> actually
0: in a way it's called cheating, I think. <laughs> All What's right.
1: funny is I actually watched an Instagram video right before we jumped on a plane and they showed to put your phone in your uh, window of the plane, close the little cover on it and put it on time lapse. So that's what you see at the beginning of this video.
0: Oh, okay. Wow. That's a an ingenious idea. Yeah. All right. So that's that's what we're going to see right here. So that's okay. Yeah. You can see how quickly it's definitely time lapse. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oops. USPSA. <laughs> what was it? That looked like a magazine. That, was a, that was a
1: holster. That was probably my favorite. Oh, okay. That we yeah.
0: All right. I'm going to, I'm going to wait for it to restart and get there. I want to take a closer look at that. Oh, of course the, okay. It almost looks like a magazine pouch, but yeah, I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And I can't. Wow. Okay. Belt keeper. Interesting. That is a a lot of different stuff that people were carrying around.
1: Yeah, and then I loved once I posted that in the comments or people were DMing me different things that they saw too. So it's fun.
0: How many pieces of luggage did you have to bring to get everything you needed to Talladega?
1: So we actually flew Southwest this time, which we normally don't. So they let us have two bags a person. Um, So because of that, we took advantage of that and actually flew our ammo with us. Um, so Mm. we, so I had two bags, my dad had two bags, um, my mom wasn't shooting, so she just had one. Um, so we had, I think four, four actual luggage bags with belts, ammo, clothes, all that good stuff. And then the Pelican case with the guns and magazines.
0: And the ammo didn't put the one luggage over the weight limit?
1: Nope. We split it between the different bags and it worked out great.
0: And you said your Pelican cases were separate. Yeah. Okay. That was, was that one of your check on bags then?
1: Uh, So it it was one of our two bags that we would bring on with us. But again, just hearing all the troubles people had with carry optics and flying in, we're like, okay, we're going to do the full foam hard case. Don't take any chances.
0: Got through TSA pretty quickly. No issues.
1: Yeah. It went pretty smooth this time. So I always I always use my range bag as my carry on so especially traveling when I had um, all my school books I'd bring with me it got flagged every time because of course they're catching some I don't know gunpowder residue or something on it but then it get the, I think this is the first time that bag went through without raising any flags or anything
0: so what made you decide to get into marketing
1: so I went to college for business and so in throughout that degree, I had to take marketing classes. And I just started falling in love with it because it combined my ability to be creative. Um, I'm also super competitive, which plays into marketing. Um, And then I really like the data and analyzation of things. And honestly, it's kind of funny how many uh, correlations between marketing and uh, shooting there are, especially in like that analyzation uh, type process. And so I just found that it Kind of combined it, all these things that I love. Um, and so I got into it, got an internship, fell in love with it even more, um, and then had the ability to bring my skill set back home. Um, and I've been running the marketing department for a local real estate company for a few years now.
0: So, what's an example of a correlation between the two?
1: Sure. So uh, I like to use uh, it was called I think it was like Max Michelle shot coach or something. I don't even think you can download it anymore, but you were able to upload your shooting videos to it. Um, And it would mark where your different shots are. And then you could go in and put in if this was your transition or your split or your reload or your movement. And so it broke out all your times for your videos. Um, So analyzing it in that matter or even practice score now with the timers that catch every shot and then they give you the little grids um, and you're able to put those compared to other shooters. So taking all the data that you're able to or have available to you Um, And being able to dive deeper in that to get a better understanding of your shooting level and being able to incorporate that um, in your training. Because if you're just looking at an overall stage time and you're like, I'm slower. Okay, where am I slower at? Was it in my splits? Was it in my transitions? Was it my movement? And really breaking it down piece by piece. And marketing is exactly the same. Uh, We like to say if you're trying to market without data, then it's like driving blind. Uh, So you got to let the data tell the story um, and help you understand where you need to go, where you need to change something. Um, and so there's actually quite a few, uh, places that the two can relate or skill sets that both take.
0: That's a good example. Have, did you use shot coach before? Yeah, I think, I think they've stopped support and completely stopped it altogether, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, did any of that type of data analysis assist you with prepping for nationals this year?
1: Uh, I definitely still use it. So I think that's where we learned. Um, especially, so it's kind of funny because shooting with shooters at home, I'm usually not losing on speed. Um, I can, I'm can i usually pretty good at going fast. I just got to hit my targets as I'm doing it. Um, but we started really learning as we were going to the major matches that we were losing time and we couldn't really figure out where we were losing time. So that's one of the tools we use to learn we were spending way too much time on these partials or these distant targets where they're treating them more of an attack and we're just not comfortable treating them as an attack target um, if it was a partial or at a distance. So that's uh, tools that really helped us hone in on that and that we needed to focus on that and push that comfort zone.
0: So how did you feel about your time at limited nationals, race gun nationals?
1: I started, I stopped listening to them because we all kind of, we were chatting all together and we're like, they feel so <laughs> slow. Like you're used to doing like uh sub 20 second stages and like, you'd be hitting 25, maybe 30 seconds on a stage and you're like, gosh, that sounds so slow.
0: And I guess that goes back to what you were saying. Everything was far. So yeah. you had to hit your spot, stop, take your shot.
1: Yeah. Well, and we knew so, too, looking at it, that it was definitely an accuracy match and you probably weren't going to come away unscathed. You were going to have some penalty points, but it was going to be uh, he or she who could minimize how many penalties or mistakes were made. So at that point, time really didn't become, of course, as we're walking stages, like looking for places we could push. But then as you're up on the line, I mean, it was all about the hits. So the time was honestly second nature. It didn't even matter at that point.
0: So not much shooting on the move then either, I think.
1: No, most of it was flat-footed.
0: Yeah, that's unusual yeah. for a Huh, okay.
1: Yeah, I knew I was behind coming into day three, and so I knew I needed to push day three, and so I did start trying to blend some positions and try to do some moving. It definitely cost me uh, some more penalty points, but I was right in that position where I was like, okay, I can either just keep shooting how I am, pretty much guarantee my second place, probably end up close at the end, um, or... I came here to try to win. So I'm going to push and see if I can't uh, bridge that gap and start gaining some more points back.
0: When you're thinking that and it's going through your head and you're trying to strategize what you're going to do, does it ever play in like, okay, I can push, but I need to make sure I don't push so much that I drop off of the leaderboard completely?
1: Yeah. So it got to that point because I was kind of pushing and day three just did not connect with me. I think i I honestly think I had a mic almost every single stage day three. I was staying pretty clean up until then. Um, and so it actually got to this point where I started realizing, okay, I had second. I had it by a decent lead, but I've been dropping a lot of points, and the others are starting to watch, and they're starting to catch up. So my last, like, two or three stages, I reverted back. I'm like, nope, get the points, finish it out.
0: Well, it worked. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> You you didn't drop out a second. And yes. I mean, you, you won by a decent or you took second by a decent number of points. So I guess you stopped the bleed.
1: Yes. <laughs> Attempted to.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Now, do you plan on shooting limited nationals next year?
1: That's the plan. We're still debating right. fully what next year is going to look like if we want to stay limited the whole um, year or if we want to try to dabble in carry optics for beginning and then switch to limited Uh, halfway through.
0: Other than open, have you shot dots like carry optics before? Mm
1: -hmm. Yep. I've competed in, so I've played in PCC, carry optics, open, limited. Uh, We really only shot one production nationals. I think that's the only match I've ever shot production. Um, And I think, I think that's all the divisions I've competed in.
0: So what, when you shoot carry optics, what gun and dot are you shooting?
1: Uh, we have a Romeo dot on the SIG um, platform.
0: All right. So I'm, I'm going to look at this two different ways. So let's say you decide that, do, do you think you would shoot carry optics nationals first off?
1: That's what we're looking at. So we have a okay. family wedding the same weekend. So we're like, oh, family
0: comes Right first. there on the range. That's easy. Yeah, Just have them move perfect. it to the ring. Ra- yes. Perfect. <laughs> Works out. Yes. Uh, now... I take it it's not in Ohio, though, the wedding.
1: Unfortunately not. <laughs>
0: well, Shazam. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, let's just say that they, for whatever reason, they move it and you're shooting carry optics nationals. So what do you, do you end up taking an an off-season or no?
1: So we like to, in the winter, we don't like shooting when it's cold. So fall is finally here in Washington. It's going to start getting colder. We might get a sometimes our November match. Ten, it falls on the third week of the month. Um, sometimes nice weather, and we'll go out and shoot that. Um, but once uh, snow hits and it gets pretty windy and chill, <coughs> so fun to be in. So we like to take the off-season for that. Um, and then maybe in January, kind of start picking the gun up more and dry fire. Um, February, we might get lucky and it might start warming up. And that's when we'll start hitting the range again.
0: So you are, are you on the western side of the state then?
1: Uh, so we I'm sorry, are sorry, eastern on, side? Yes, the eastern okay. side.
0: That's what I meant. Because, yeah, thats I, I don't believe the western side really gets much snow, correct?
1: We don't get a whole lot either, um, but- it, it can snow. We're more of a desert climate than everyone okay. thinks Washington and they think the trees and the rain and that's all on the west side. We have a, a mountain course that splits the state pretty much. And then we are more um, desert, but we have a river that runs through us. So everything's green still.
0: So you pick it up back in February. Let's just say February. What I mean, that gives you four months to prepare for carry optics nationals. So, what does your training look like?
1: That's the discussions we're going to have because we noticed a huge increase um, in our training this go ahead before nationals by getting to like, and honestly, almost I felt like I had an insight to the pro shooters because we were on the range like all the time um, to the point like my hands and my arms, they were telling me to be done. They were done, tired. Because we've never done that much shooting in that short of a time frame. Um, And so we really think if the goal is to go try and win that national title, that that's going to be what it's going to take is getting out there every chance we can to go be on that range and do some live fire training um, along with our dry fire.
0: All right. So I guess your Thanksgiving dinner is going to be very interesting. That conversation. (laughs) Now, do you do you work out with weights or anything to try to increase strength and and muscular stamina?
1: So I'm really bad at strength training. I like cardio way more than strength. So we're definitely starting to incorporate that more, Um, especially with the limited gun and the one handed. I was literally physically um, I was never really good at one handed. And we switched to carry optics, which was a lighter platform, lighter round. Um, and I could hit my targets way better. And then I went back to limited and just realized that I physically wasn't strong enough to keep that gun steady long enough. Um, So I had to start incorporating more weights to build that upper body muscle.
0: So I assume you did a lot of like shoulder workout type. Mm -hmm. Again, four months. um, At what point? Do you do much dry fire? Because we haven't talked about that. How much dry fire do you normally do?
1: So this go around, as we stepped up to the range, we would do a little bit of dry fire to get us going. Um, So I pretty much just work fundamentals in dry fire. So I run through each of my draws um, and uh, some reloads. Um, I don't really get any fancier than that. Um, And I'm not the best at doing my dry fire as much as I should be. Um, So the goal is... Just enough to keep the body, um, that muscle memory going so that when I step up to a range, I'm not having to think about how I'm grabbing my gun um, or having, if I start noticing my uh, grip not being correct, then I'll start focusing more on my dry fire and really breaking it down and thinking through each step. And um, so, I mean, we probably always spent 10, 15 minutes, a couple days a week on dry fire.
0: Do you think that would change at all with a compressed training time next year?
1: Uh, for sure. Especially if going to switch divisions. Um, Cause I think obviously the fundamentals are huge um, and majority of them can be worked in dry fire. So making sure that everything stays muscle memory, grip, trigger pull, sight picture, dot, iron sights, um, especially switching between the two. Well,
0: yeah. And I, I feel like when I first started carry optics the biggest issue i had was the acquisition of the dot you know and getting the reps in because i i was literally going to other i was new to uspsa and i'm shooting this dot and i'm watching these guys and i'm like wow they look like they're pulling the gun up and it's right there and they're bang 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 and i'm like pulling it up and going where in the world did it go it's here somewhere so i was going up to them like hey what are you doing to find your dot and they're all like dry fire Dry fire. Yeah. I'm like, well, I am definitely not dry firing enough because <laughs> it's not working for me. So I, I def that's why I ask because I feel like switching to an I don't want to say a new platform, obviously you're familiar with it, but you haven't seems like put in a whole lot of time where I feel like that dry fire would allow you to concentrate on other things at the range.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm definitely dry fire heavy at the beginning of the year because it's cold, so we're not really outside a lot. But that competitive nature is like, okay, season started. Let's get going. Let's start working. Uh, So definitely more dry fire heavy there. But then as we start getting more into range sessions, then it's honestly just a a few dry draws um, and reloads right before we start live fire practice.
0: So what does your match schedule look like? Leading up to a late June national.
1: Uh, our matches get started a little later here. We usually kick off the year with our sectional. That usually hits about, I think that hits in May. Um, and then area one usually comes next, usually sometime around June. So if we shot carry optics nationals, I mean, we've not shot very many majors yet. It's going to be like the second or third one of the year.
0: Yeah, it's... uh I'm I'm trying to pull up the list right now for next year and Area 1 is in July.
1: So hmm, move back.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um I mean if you want to travel to North Carolina, you've got Area 6 in May. <laughs> <There> okay. <you go. laughs> now I'm not sure what I'm looking at, sectionals. Oh, looky here. The Inland Empire sectional is May 20.
1: Yep, that's ours.
0: Yep. Yeah. Benton City, Washington. So you do have mm-hmm. that. Uh, but it doesn't look like and this is why I'm not a big fan of carry optics being in June this year. It really doesn't give you much time to shoot, get ready. Yeah. I'm looking at state championships, and there's very little before carry optics national. So. Mm-hmm. I'm trying, now I'm looking at special matches and yeah, there's, there is literally one match West of the Mississippi river so far for special matches. Yeah, yeah.
1: Our typically our shooting season really kicks off usually in summer. So June, July, start doing some majors, some sectionals, some state matches, and then usually leading up to nationals in a September, October time frame. So with it being in June, I mean, it's, you're going to kick off the season with the nationals pretty much.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, usually you have, like you're saying, you get almost all of the area matches done out of the way. So you've had plenty of opportunity to shoot local majors, you know, area and maybe a sectional match, what plus locals. So there definitely isn't going to be a lot this yeah. year for sure. So you're, M class, I don't know how close you are to G or any of that, but have you done anything with mental management classes or sports psychology, any of that?
1: Yeah, so mental game is huge. I've been trying to study it more this year. Um, I'm definitely not going to say I haven't mastered. I actually think a big portion of my performance this past nationals wasn't fully due to skill set. It was due to mindset because I kind of hit those uh, I was doing pretty good up until the end of day two, um, and I threw those two mics, and that's where the big point gap started coming into play. Um, and so I was pretty kind of down the rest of that day, trying to get myself remotivated to go out for day three. Um, and so we've been reading a lot of books, reading a lot of, uh, listening to a lot of podcasts. Um, earlier this year, I think one of the ones that hit me the most was a Steve Anderson podcast, and he was talking about what it takes to win a Nationals. Um, and he was saying, uh, most people think you got to go out and you got to win every stage. You got to be at 100% all the time. But if you're redlining all the time, that's where your mistakes are going to come because you can't stay at that performance 100% of the time for this full marathon of the nationals. And so, really, when you look at your national winners, um, they're somewhere between 85, 95% of their actual skill level and they're staying at that performance. Um, and so, we actually listened to another podcast from JJ. Um, just recently, and so he was talking about he's got these three different scenarios going into a nationals And so if he can start at like his 85% Comfort level go out shoot points um, And if he's able to stay at that level the whole match He's gonna stay at that level the whole match and so that was interesting and it almost took uh, Some of the extra pressure I put on myself off because it was like okay I don't have to go be hundred percent on the stage. I don't have to go win this stage I need to be about that 85, 95% of the points. And so that's how I went into this nationals with, um, And it was working pretty good. We were, I was only trailing Jalise about 17, 18 points day one. So, I mean, right there with each other. Yeah. Um, and then I made then I made that mistake on day two. And that put me, I was about 60 points trailing. Uh, going into day three. And so being able to try to overcome that and look at it as, okay, I don't need to go make up 60 points on the stage. I just need to start trying to make up 10. I think we had six six stages left on the final day. So it's like I need to try to find about 10 points a stage here. And so that's how I went in uh, knowing, okay, I, if I want to go for this, I have to push. I got to try for it.
0: And that's where I don't think my USPSA IQ is very high in that you know, you, and you've got to take the different stages and the points that they offer yeah. and go, okay, this is only an 80 point stage. I'm probably not going to make 10. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to aim for five or six. The next one's a 32 round stage. So there's a lot of points involved. So now maybe I try to get 15, you know, to make up yeah. for the 10, but I don't, I'm not at that point where I, I think like that. Cause I'm not fighting for the the overall win you know mm-hmm.
1: well i think that was where it was really interesting to sh- get to shoot with the lady super squad this year and kind of watch how i think that ingrained that even more that they weren't going 100 percent, 100 percent of the time like they were trying to if they could shoot at their comfort loan guarantee the hits and if that worked for them stay at that level um, and then start pushing where they needed to push and definitely being able to tell what stage was a, uh, okay, this is a survivor stage, like just get your points on the stage, move on. Like, I'm not going to win it here, but I could lose it here.
0: Do you guys talk about that as a group? Or is that something you're all each individually thinking?
1: Definitely majority individually, we did start having some conversations to chat in here and there where we'd be like, hey, how you running it this way? Are you gonna run it this way. So there was some stage. Um, tactics talking going on throughout the match.
0: I always like to, um, in this case, I'll, I'll use Nils as an example because he, I, I'm going back to Carry Optics Nationals and talking about that consistency because I also like to use Casey Ucbo as an example. And so Nils only won two stages out of 19, but he placed in the top 10, 11 out of 19 of those stages. So it was just that. And he only had one bad stage. And I say bad, he placed 93rd. So for him, I would say that's probably bad. You know, if you said JJ was 93rd on a stage, I was like, oh, he had a bad stage. Because that's not JJ's skill level. It's not Nil's skill level. So something happened there. And you look at it, he had 15 alphas and a mic. So it, was a, it wasn't was a a huge stage. It's probably a, a medium stage stage going on there but so he probably didn't lose a whole lot of points on that but enough still to you know make you worry
1: yeah um,
0: but it just goes back to that consistency in 2020 I did I broke down nationals based on the shooters and what their average rank was on each stage and when I did that I love watching KC shoot because he will he burns down every stage and sometimes that burn is a dumpster fire and sometimes it is just smoking hot and he kills it and he wins it so he's either like first or hundred there he there is no in between with that guy but you know th- some of them have learned how to temper that speed and <laughs> so that they're not always at that one you know hundred or one 100, one hundred one yeah. one hundred because you end up being 50th, and it's like, well, I probably wanted to be higher than that.
1: Yeah. I think that's where the big difference between the majors and the locals comes into play. Because most of your locals, I mean, if you make a mistake, you can make up for it on time. You just got to go fast. Whereas you get to your majors, and it becomes this game of who can cons- be consistent the most, like the closest consistency throughout the entire thing. Well, and,
0: and the other part of that is, look at locals, I mean, you might have, a couple of people that you're competing against, you know? Um, like I, I'm not going to threaten anybody at uh, my local match either. There's no G that's looking around and go, oh, riddles here. I got to, I got to watch what I do. Mm, that's not happening. <laughs> but when you get to a major, now you, you know, now you're attracting competition from further distances and you, you have to kind of play it smarter.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: So I wanted to go back you said your mom and dad both compete as well. Mm-hmm. And you said your dad was at, no, was it your coach or your dad who went to carry optics? Coach. Okay. Your coach did. So what is your, what is your mom and dad normally shoot?
1: Um, my mom's favorite is PCC. If she doesn't have to pick up a pistol again, she probably never will. That is her favorite <laughs> division.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, dad really likes limited, but he was saying he's really starting to struggle with, uh, the vision aspect of it. So Mm -hmm. he likes going back to the dot platform for that. Um, and probably going to start playing more in carry optics.
0: Yeah. He's probably closer to my age. So, and that's when I went to a dot, you know, I was shooting irons and I'm like, I'm at that point where I just started wearing reading glasses. So it was, it was almost like. The iron sights at the end of my hand were still like hard to focus on. I could focus on the target absolutely fine, but it's not like in the past where I could still see my sights perfectly clear enough that mm-hmm. I could easily, you know, ensure that I had an accurate shot. So I was like, mm, uh, I need something different. <laughs> so it, I I totally get it. So you think he's going to transition to carry optics?
1: Yep, we're gonna start looking at playing at Carry Optics a little bit more.
0: Well, if you moved to that, then you would have your dad shooting that, and you guys would be shooting the same division. You'd still yeah. have a coach.
1: Yeah, we like shooting the same division. My husband actually shoots too, so we're trying to convince oh. him to go go Carry okay. Optics. Yep, he likes uh, opens by far his favorite NPCC. Um, well, I don't like him now. <laughs>
0: no, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah,
1: uh, but yeah, we have we have a whole family affair. My little brother shoots too. Um, he shoots Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. Okay.
0: And you said you had a sister. Does she shoot?
1: I think she got so tired of being dragged to the range. She likes to do photography, so she likes to joke. She likes to shoot us shooting.
0: Well, it's okay. So she's still participating, just not pulling a.
1: A little she's bit. pushing yeah. a
0: button instead of pulling a trigger.
1: Yeah. If she doesn't have to be on the range, she'd gladly prefer not to be on the range.
0: So, is there any sponsors you want to give a shout out to?
1: Uh, yes. So I got pretty lucky um, on, on my career that Barry's picked me up and I definitely would not be able to shoot at the level I do without their support. So I'm super thankful to them. Um, obviously, mom and dad are a huge help. I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing without them. Um, and the training company was really put in place to help each of us uh, support our shooting habit or shooting addiction. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> and then so practical edge is that our firearms training company um and then my coach with his um gunsmithing company county mountain customs uh, those are the guns i've been shooting and then if i break them it's super nice to be able to be like can you fix it can you take a look at it um and then get get, get that turned around real quick
0: well i appreciate you coming on
1: yeah thank you for having me
0: oh it's my pleasure